Chapter Ten of the Alhambra: A Series of Tales and Sketches of the Moors and Spaniards by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: Inhabitants of the Alhambra. I have often observed that the more proudly a mansion has been tenanted in the day of its prosperity, the humbler are its inhabitants in the day of its decline and that the palace of the king commonly ends in being the nestling-place of the beggar. The Alhambra is in a rapid state of similar transition. Whenever a tower falls to decay, it is seized upon by some tatterdemalion family, who become joint tenants with the bats and owls of its gilded halls, and hang their rags, those standards of poverty, out of its windows and loopholes. I have amused myself with remarking some of the motley characters that have thus usurped the ancient abode of royalty, and who seem as if placed here to give a farcical termination to the drama of human pride. One of these even bears the mockery of a royal title. It is a little old woman named Maria Antonia Sabania, but who goes by the appellation of La Reina Coquina, or the Cockle Queen. She is small enough to be a fairy, and a fairy she may be for aught I can find out, for no one seems to know her origin. Her habitation is a kind of closet under the outer staircase of the palace, and she sits in the cool stone corridor plying her needle and singing from morning till night, with a ready joke for every one that passes, for though one of the poorest, she is one of the merriest little women breathing. Her great merit is a gift for story-telling, having, I verily believe, as many stories at her command as the inexhaustible Scheherazade of the Thousand and One Nights. Some of these I have heard her relate, in the evening tortulias of Doña Antonia, at which she is occasionally an humble attendant. That there must be some fairy gift about this mysterious little old woman would appear from her extraordinary luck, since, notwithstanding her being very little, very ugly, and very poor, she has had, according to her own account, five husbands and a half, reckoning as a half one a young dragoon who died during courtship. A rival personage to this little fairy queen is a portly old fellow with a bottle nose, who goes about in a rusty garb with a cocked hat of oilskin and a red cockade. He is one of the legitimate sons of the Alhambra, and has lived here all his life, filling various offices, such as deputy alguazil, sexton of the parochial church, and marker of a fives court established at the foot of one of the towers. He is as poor as a rat, but as proud as he is ragged, boasting of his descent from the illustrious house of Aguilar, from which sprang Gonzalvo of Cordova, the grand captain. Nay, he actually bears the name of Alonso de Aguilar, so renowned in the history of the conquest, though the graceless wags of the fortress have given him the title of Il Padre Santo, or the Holy Father, the usual appellation of the Pope, which I had thought too sacred in the eyes of true Catholics to be thus ludicrously applied. It is a whimsical caprice of fortune 
to present in the grotesque person of this tatterdemalion a namesake and descendant of the proud alonzo de aguilar the mirror of andalusian chivalry leading an almost mendicant existence about this once haughty fortress which his ancestor aided to reduce yet such might have been the lot of the descendants of agamemnon and achilles had they lingered about the ruins of troy of this motley community i find the family of my gossiping squire mateo jimenez to form from their numbers at least a very important part his boast of being a son of the alhambra is not unfounded this family has inhabited the fortress ever since the time of the conquest handing down a hereditary poverty from father to son not one of them having ever been known to be worth a maravedi his father by trade a ribboned weaver and who succeeded the historical tailor as the head of the family is now near seventy years of age and lives in a hovel of reeds and plaster built by his own hands just above the iron gate the furniture consists of a crazy bed a table and two or three chairs a wooden chest containing his clothes and the archives of his family that is to say a few papers concerning old lawsuits which he cannot read but the pride of his heart is a blazon of the arms of the family brilliantly colored and suspended in a frame against the wall clearly demonstrating by its quarterings the various noble houses with which this poverty-stricken brood claim affinity as to mateo himself he has done his utmost to perpetuate his line having a wife and a numerous progeny who inhabit an almost dismantled hovel in the hamlet how they manage to subsist he only who sees into all mysteries can tell the subsistence of a spanish family of the kind is always a riddle to me yet they do subsist and what is more appear to enjoy their existence the wife takes her holy-day stroll in the paseo of granado with the child in her arms and half a dozen at her heels and the eldest daughter now verging into womanhood dresses her hair with flowers and dances gaily to the castanets there are two classes of people to whom life seems one long holy-day the very rich and the very poor one because they need do nothing the other because they have nothing to do but there are none who understand the art of doing nothing and living upon nothing better than the poor classes of spain climate does one half and temperament the rest give a spaniard the shade in summer and the sun in winter a little bread garlic oil and garbanzos an old brown cloak and a guitar and let the world roll on as it pleases talk of poverty with him it has no disgrace it sits upon him with a grandioso style like his ragged cloak he is a hidalgo even when in rags the sons of the alhambra are an eminent illustration of this practical philosophy as the moors imagined that the celestial paradise hung over this favored spot so i am inclined at times to fancy that a gleam of the golden age still lingers about this ragged community 
They possess nothing, they do nothing, and they care for nothing. Yet, though apparently idle all the week, they are as observant of all holy days and saints' days as the most laborious artisan. They attend all fetes and dancings in Granada and its vicinity, light bonfires on the hills on St. John's Eve, and have lately danced away the moonlight nights on the harvest home of a small field of wheat within the precincts of the fortress. Before concluding these remarks, I must mention one of the amusements of the place, which has particularly struck me. I had repeatedly observed a long, lean fellow perched on the top of one of the towers, maneuvering two or three fishing-rods as though he was angling for the stars. I was for some time perplexed by the evolutions of this aerial fisherman, and my perplexity increased on observing others employed in like manner, on different parts of the battlements and bastions. It was not until I consulted Mateo Jimenez that I solved the mystery. It seems that the pure and airy situation of this fortress has rendered it, like the castle of Macbeth, a prolific breeding-place for swallows and martlets, who sport about its towers in myriads with the holy-day gleam of urchins just let loose from school. To entrap these birds in their giddy circlings, with hooks baited with flies, is one of the favorite amusements of the ragged sons of the Alhambra, who with the good-for-nothing ingenuity of arrant idlers have thus invented the art of angling in the sky. End of chapter 10